Welcome Committee. I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush, and got a very special couple of episodes coming to you this week, starting with this one right here. Uh, I had the absolute pleasure of heading up to Glens Falls, New York, for the Adirondack Film Festival, which is a spectacular film festival programmed by the great Jess Lewandowski, who you may remember from Middle Coast Fest, uh, she's been on the show before and she's an incredible film programmer who programs festivals all across the country. And she was kind enough to, uh, invite me to head up to Glens Falls a little bit North of Albany, about an hour North of Albany, New York, and check out what they had to offer. And let me tell you, it was a fantastic experience an amazing, uh, few days of film and conversation. I was really pleased to be there and, um, just a huge thank you to Jess and the whole festival and, uh, everybody who was there. One of the things that I thought was really remarkable about it was the number of filmmakers who actually were in attendance. Uh, when it comes to film fests, often filmmakers can't necessarily make it to every fest that they've submitted to. Obviously, there's a lot of financial stuff involved with that, and plus just time alone. Uh, you can't go to every festival that you submit to, but you want to get a huge reach. But the Adirondack Film Festival was able to get literally hundreds of filmmakers there who were showing their stuff, and it was really a pleasure to get to listen to them talk about their films and be able to have awesome conversations with them afterwards especially because there were specifically not a whole lot i don't think there were any q a's or at least i did not see any specific q a's uh before or following the films which i thought was an awesome choice uh it really pushed the community aspect of the adirondack film festival it took away some of the unnecessary formality that film festivals sometimes have and it was more encouragement to just you know talk to the filmmakers outside of the film and have a very just normal conversation about cinema and all that kind of stuff uh each filmmaker if they were in attendance would go up prior to the screening of their short or of their feature and say, hey, this is who I am, this is my film, and you can meet me at this bar or this restaurant or whatever. And you could just strike up a conversation with them. And I thought that was an excellent choice on the part of the festival. So uh, without further ado, we've got three interviews for this first sort of episode of coverage of the Adirondack Film Festival. Um, there were so many people that I was lucky enough to talk to, and there's going to be a ton more interviews coming your way. So we're going to do this in kind of capsules of interviews, different stuff from different people. So uh, first, you're going to hear from Greg Emetaw and Melissa Roth, who are from a film called Camp Wedding, which is a kind of horror comedy that uh, riffs on 80s slashers and that sort of thing. Uh, tries to turn the whole thing a little bit on its head, and it's a really fun watch. And that's even something that you can watch on Amazon right now. You can rent it if you want to check it out following our conversation. Then uh, there is Ken Holmes, who is one of the directors of a experimental short called Old Hearts Cafe. We talk a little bit about his 
improvisational approach to the film and how he kind of balances the two parts of himself that are both kind of wild and free and want to do everything in the moment and also the very type a planning part of himself and how that all factored into old hearts cafe and then finally really really uh awesome conversation with one of chicago's very own lane marie williams and her team from veiled tractate which is an experimental short that uh her and all these amazing people got together and shot here in chicago takes most takes place mostly in chinatown uh very non-narrative uh and it's it's something to behold and if you're here in the city you if you're following the film scene at all lane marie is definitely on your radar so that conversation the very last conversation will be with a whole group of uh, people that worked on Veiled Tractate. So obviously we'll have director Lane Marie Williams, uh, producer Amy Powell. Of course, we have to have editor Anna Christian. And then rounding it out, we also have uh, Kate Rappel, who did all the sound and uh, a lot of the soundtracks. So um, it's it's a whole crew of people and you get every facet of how this short came together, which is uh, something that you don't get to hear a lot or see a lot. Uh, So without further ado, here is our coverage from the Adirondack Film Festival in Glens Falls, New York. Kicking off our coverage here at the Adirondack Film Festival in Glens Falls, New York, I've got two people from the film Camp Wedding. Uh, very excited to introduce here Greg Emmetaw and also Melissa Roth. Greg is the writer-director of the picture, and Melissa is in the film as Alexis, but also pulls double duty as the main makeup artist. So uh, let's jump right into it. This is something that is near and dear to my heart, weddings and horror. I think this is a great uh, put together of two things that I think are really fun and I don't think I've seen in a film before. Uh, Greg, you're the writer-director. Tell us a little bit about how the idea came together. When did you decide, I want to do a horror movie that is also a wedding story? Uh, It's kind of actually a really long story, but probably the simplest thing was that i wanted to revisit a, some kind of like horror thriller supernatural kind of project uh a long time ago i made a film called neat freak which was about like a kind of uh supernat well what is it like a obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. poltergeist that instead of like causing disorder imposed order and that was really <laughs> the first film i made with my roommates we just all shot it in this apartment over a weekend we shot like 45 pages in a weekend it was insane i don't know what i was thinking you know but i learned a lot from that and that was like back in like 2002 and i wanted to kind of revisit that and and my good friend who was in that movie uh car Silvio, who's the co-story writer and the executive producer of this um she was like we should revisit that project you know and we originally like about 10 years ago we were thinking oh there's this cabin in the woods that our family owns that's supposedly haunted and we're like oh that might be interesting but then they had to sell it you know and then she had a wedding at a summer camp and i was like oh maybe this is the way we find our way into it 
And so what, what's funny is like I had not actually seen Friday the 13th at that point. Mm-hmm. So I much like after writing the first draft of the script, I was like, oh, this whole summer camp horror is kind of a thing, you know, and that hadn't occurred to me. And so eventually we sort of realized that it was kind of a tropey thing. And there's some references to that in the film. Sure. sure. But that is where it came from. And it was really based more on her wedding than this history of summer camps being, you know, um, places for bloodbaths. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird kind of cultural thing. Uh, most people, even if they've never seen Friday the 13th, they're just kind of idea that like, yeah, out in the woods, somewhere we've never been before, isolated, murder. Why not? Why not? <laughs> so the, the setup to this is really interesting. They Airbnb a, we- a wedding for at a camp uh, and things just kind of go worse from there. Uh, you mentioned that you're, you engage with some of the tropes when you realize that uh, this is going to be something that would call back to a little bit of the heyday of the slashers, even unintentionally. Uh, how did you want to write those tropes in while still making them fun and uh, a, a good time for the audience overall? Well, one thing that I always love in movies is kind of, especially horror movies, is kind of a really elaborate, crazy backstory that gets unearthed. Like, that's my favorite thing in a horror is when it's like, wait, but as a friend of mine says, she's like, all of your projects have a, but 200 years ago, little did they know, you know. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, let's just go crazy with that. So like this camp, not only, like you see this in the very beginning of the film, but like you realize the camp was the site of like uh, a Native American massacre. It was also the site of some witch burnings later in time. And then we also learned that like some camper drowned in the 80s after being struck by lightning. And uh, that shut the camp down. So the camp is, I mean, we you know the camp kind of is like trapped in the 80s which mm-hmm. is also i love that kind of period and the electronics from that period so i wanted to have this connection to all that and so the, the, to me there's also this sense of those summer camp movies being an 80s thing mm-hmm. you know so all of that felt like that was a way to approach that also we didn't have the kind of budget to like make the entire film in the 80s right so this was a way to kind of have like a nod to that without going that way also i wanted to explore social media and cell phones, which are a big part of the movie, actually, as well. So that's where the Airbnb aspect of it, I guess, yeah. comes in. Because there's a lot of, like, the characters just not really be- connecting. They're all connected to the world that they've left. But they're sort of forced together in this place. And the idea, in a way, is, like, they have to communicate to survive in this world. So whereas usually losing cell service is a way to, like, make people helpless, in this case, the cell service is what's making them helpless. A nice like, turn. Yeah. A nice turn on, turning it on its head. And if if I do say so myself, the 80s are very in right now. They are uh, the subject of, of, most people talk about stranger things, that sort of stuff is really is really hot. And um, I was I was curious, why do you think that the 80s have been such a, goldmine of filmmaking and and television right now because you've got stuff like stranger things american horror story is doing its own riff on the on the 80s slasher uh and while it was more or less unintentional that you waded into this territory what is it about the 80s that interests you from an aesthetic sort of place the soundtrack as well seems very like a little synth heavy very 80s so what uh got you excited about that aspect i mean i have for a long time like decided that like 1985 was some sort of some sort of pinnacle of cinema because i guess some (laughs) of my favorite movies are like the goonies return to oz back to the future all these movies came out in that year it's crazy and there's several others that you're like witness like all these amazing films and i think maybe it's just 
it's like a time of um, I think part of it is that we feel so surveilled and kids seem so surveilled now mm-hmm. whereas like all those movies like Goonies could never happen today because the kids would never be allowed out of the house without supervision you know like and I don't know I think that's part of it is that we um, don't feel like we can go on those kinds of adventures anymore and we're always connected to the outside world and those stories are mostly about both kids kind of escaping their real world to some fantasy place Mm -hmm. and saving parents which now with these parents that are constantly like pre-saving children at all times not that I'm saying that you know parents should just let kids go anywhere but like I think part of the magic of those stories was the kids were empowered to save the parents and you don't see that as much anymore Um, or it seems like that's further away or it's a harder thing to imagine and maybe we're we're all remembering that and I think also the people that grew up in the 80s are now like a big market you know they're all professionals you know so it's sort of serving them. But I'd love to hear what you think of that. Mel- yeah. Melissa is really the horror expert oh, here. I, I don't know. All right. Expert, well, I mean, <laughs> Melissa, you're you're both in the movie. You play Alexis, mm-hmm. and you said that you worked on uh, the, the makeup, makeup and everything. Well. Yeah. And that's so integral to horror. That My favorite horror is very makeup heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think the 80s was pretty much the peak of horror cinema in terms of going completely pardon the expression balls out i mean i i for a period of time watched john carpenter's the thing every single week for like two or three months because i was blown away but by what rob Bottin was doing and how much it made me more involved in the movie knowing that this was real to a certain extent so both as a so as a makeup person as a makeup artist uh how did you approach well this one we we did want to keep things kind of simple um so a lot of the effects are really just you know practical makeup shading that kind of thing we use contacts as a big one to set off when the switch happens in people um, mm-hmm. And we, <laughs> well, uh, so with the con- so so we use contacts, we use lighting, so it's a lot more practical effects um, instead of digitally, you changing know, things, changing yeah. things and, and working things out, which I think work better. And again, I think that goes back to why things from the '80s now are kind of making a comeback. Um, you know, we went so far in technology and the digital age that I think people want a little bit of a step back so they can relate to it a little bit more, you know, um, people want like squibs they want well they think they want squibs and they want blood effects they want something that they can react to viscerally as opposed to technology kind of taking hold and saying this is what you're seeing yeah while it is while it is easier to a certain extent there's no cleanup you simply go on the back end and you're just like all right, we're gonna have blood splatter here blood splatter Mm -hmm. here Uh, even one of my favorite movies of the year so far John Wick Chapter 3 it uses digital blood effects. Uh, now, it's for practicality purposes with that many bodies piling up in sure. a short period of time. But it loses, as you said, a little bit of that visceral nature. Um, 
as when watching something from the 80s where it's like uh i think it was the original friday the 13th when kevin bacon gets a gets an arrow through the neck and it's literally tom savini's assistant pumping blood with Mm -hmm. his mouth and it's gurgling it's horrible Mm -hmm. uh i really appreciate that you're taking this approach with something that does call back and all that kind of stuff uh greg mentioned that you were the horror expert is how true is that i mean i I, you know i've been a fan since i was a kid um you know reading horror books watching horror movies all of that um i do uh specialized special effects makeup so prosthetics and sculpting and you know the blood effects all of that um monsters yes you know all the fun stuff all the the really fun stuff yeah get your hands dirty and (laughs) you know there's something really nice about that like the that you get to have a a craft because again i don't want to disparage digital artists they go through as you know tons of training and tons of artistry just to do it but i'm sure on some level even they kind of want to maybe get in the clay get in a little bit of the prosthetics and there often is too there is there is sculpting even if it's digital you still you know you have these programs where you really get to 3d sculpt Mm -hmm. and you know and also now with um the 3d printing you know it kind of marries the two i think you can digitally create something but then you can you know practically make it yeah so how did it feel pulling double duty here you have to be in the film and also work on everybody's you know prosthetics and effects i did have i brought in um another makeup artist to help with that so i wasn't doing everything by myself um you know which was helpful you know always have a team of people that you can call on when you have to kind of bounce around wear different hats absolutely so is is this your guys first time at the film festival have you uh been to adirondack before i haven't actually this i mean i don't even know quite how we found out about this but it's been a really great experience already we were just at their opening last night and to me like part of the measure of a film festival is like other than like how great the website looks which obviously matters so much now you like you're like oh these are some good font choices that's awesome. you know <laughs> but um is do people show up you know to the screenings and last night was completely packed and it was such a great group and there's something like 300 of the filmmakers here which is, that is unreal right. yeah i can't i cannot believe it this is i arrived last night this is my first full day so far i haven't even had the chance to see anything and yet the whole town is crawling with yeah. people going to the festival, people who have films in it, and just just fans all around. This is uh, pretty remarkable. Um, is this is this the first film festival that um, Camp Wedding has been shown at, or have you guys been making the rounds? We've been we've been making the rounds. Like this is maybe the fourteenth or something. Actually, oh my we just had three in a row in New York City, so wow. we're having kind of our New York month. It's crazy. <laughs> well, so. it's it's a tiring process based on i've talked to other filmmakers and it's not only you want to be there you don't want to just submit and be like whatever maybe people will like it you want to see the reaction but it can be costly there's travel there's the submission fees and all that kind of stuff have you got have you been handling it pretty well has it been a bit of a stressor well i mean it's like we can't make it like not all of us can make every festival but like different Mm -hmm. people have been able to make different ones which has been great you know like uh um Cliff Miller, who plays Jack in the movie, happens to now live in Texas, so he was able to go to the screening we had in Waco. Excellent. You know, um, so, and and the Cara, the executive producer, co-star writer, she, I was out of town for some, for an opera, this is my other life, that's what I do for money, it's <laughs> bizarre. Um, and so she went to this great festival, Jim Thorpe, in Pennsylvania, which, and said it was fantastic. So, it's great to have everyone be able to go to kind of different festivals as it tours around. But yeah, it's, I mean, you have to kind of weigh, I guess, 
whether or not it's worth it to go. But this one really looked great. And just the outreach from the festival was really good. And that always, you know, and they're like, and they put us up at a hotel, which we kind of think is maybe haunted. And we're taking tons of photos. We're like, (laughs) how can we shoot at this amazing hotel? Yeah, That'll be for later. That'll be, that'll be for a different wedding based horror movie. Exactly. Uh, What, when it comes to camp wedding, what was, and we'll, I'll, I'll have both of you give an answer. Uh, what was the most satisfying part of making this movie? What did you enjoy the most? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I really loved the whole process of, like, from the first idea through, like, the first real public screening. It's hard to, like, pick one. But, I mean, I think the most satisfying thing on this was probably our last day of shooting because it was such an intent. We shot for 13 days. We had, like, about one day off within that, which for, you know, and this was a script that, at least the original script was, like, 100 pages. So that's, it was intense. Absolutely. As I'm sure you can attest to it, Melissa. (laughs) And it was mostly at night. You know, we had, like, three days that were actually during the day. The rest of it was all night shoots. We were always running out of darkness as opposed to running out of daylight which is usually the issue uh-huh. we were running out of darkness so the last day we i think it was like a 16 hour crazy we had to like end it in the freezer there's a lot of scenes <laughs> in the freezer so and at that point it was just like such an amazing relief and then everyone had to like pack up and leave but it was i feel like it was just feeling like we had actually shot everything like i was so afraid the whole time and the ad was like we're never going to make all these scenes you have to start cutting things right. and we somehow got everything so it's that was that was amazingly satisfying, I think. Just to get all in. Melissa, what yeah. about yourself? There was um, a day we were shooting on the dock, and it's, I don't want to give anything away, <laughs> but uh, the sun rose over the dock, and it was absolutely gorgeous and beautiful, and every character was out there. Everybody, after the, you know, I don't remember which day. That was towards the end, though. Um, and it was that moment where the sun came up and we all rose from the dead or, or whatever happens. And it was just the most beautiful moment. And everybody there, the entire crew was there, the entire cast was there. And it was, it was just one of those moments of, like, togetherness, like, when, when you're working with all of these people for so long. And, you know, it, it was rough. Like, I mean, the process was hard. It's outdoors. It's in the woods. It's overnight shoots. So nobody's sleeping. Nobody's got, like, you know, but everybody was focused and committed. And there was just this moment where we were all together, and the sun rose upon us and glistened over the water. And it was just a, it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment of feeling like you've done the thing that you set out to do and especially with such yeah. an intense shooting time you know i'm really glad that you got everything in that you wanted yeah. to get in. and I, I imagine your ad like i know how hard of a job that can be for for an assistant director be like oh we got we got to do all this we got to do this um and not getting everything in can be can be terrible i, I think just there was a, a a movie with michael fassbender in it i want to say last year called the snowman where they they just completely missed entire parts of the plot and just they were like well we have to release it so they released it having missed like about a week of shooting so you guys got down there got worked hard and you got to go to camp with all with a great group of people um i did see that this is available for rental on uh, amazon prime um you can check it out over there the dvd is also available for purchase uh i i always get curious with the time that we're living in in the digital revolution people can get pretty much any type of content anywhere they want um 
what did you plan like yeah we're going to do a heavy digital release and we're going to get this out there how did it affect uh the post um film process and getting people to actually see it um i mean we uh i wish i could say that it was super strategic i think what happened was we we got approached by gravitas who was like doing our distribution in the midst of our festival run and and I think it is nice to be able to like be at a festival and if people miss it, be like, oh, you can also see it online. You sure. know, and it's sort of like there's still buzz associated with the festival while we're releasing it. And for me, it's like the most important thing is that it just finds an audience. Like it's mm-hmm. we've seen this before. Like it's not everyone's cup of tea. Some really hardcore horror people want more gore. They want more nudity, apparently. Um, <laughs> but according to some like other podcasts I've heard, it's been interesting to hear all these responses. But but some people like this is like something they haven't seen before and they really connect with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's nice, you know, to, I think the idea has always been like, how can we kind of cast the net as wide as possible to then have the people that really connect with this find it, you know, be able to connect with yeah, it. Absolutely, it's it's funny you mention horror fans because they are notoriously hard to please uh, because everybody's got such a different taste. Some mm-hmm. people are really into the gore stuff. Some people want more psychological, all that kind of stuff. So uh, when you were making Camp Wedding, were you c- considering that like, hey, how is this going to play? to the hardcore people how is this going to play to the casual audience who just wants a little scare what were your thoughts on that i mean it's funny because i never like i don't think i was considering a lot of those things i mean i think Mm -hmm. it's 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 a sort of a trap to try to like please everyone or please certain groups of people like i feel like all you can really do is please your own like the movie you'd want to see because inevitably then other people are going to be on board with that so i mean to me this was about making something that to me like i hadn't seen before and hopefully other people would enjoy you know like reversing this trope of like everyone's cell phone doesn't work and now they're helpless you know like what's the opposite of that i mean to me the horror in this is like getting a confusing text message that says fine and you don't know if that's like fine or fine you know like you don't know what the tone is and that's the horror of this movie you know spectacular so so yeah, that's, that's my thought. All right, Camp Wedding. Uh, Greg, Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm thank sure you. you guys are busy. And I know you're leaving tonight to go head back to New York. So best of luck uh, on the film going forward. I hope you guys get as much distribution as possible. Uh, horror horror hounds, horror fans, uh, keep your eye out for this one. Camp Wedding, Greg and Melissa, thank you both so much. Uh, joined here now by Ken Holmes, a uh, director, one of three directors on a comedy sci-fi short that is described as experimental. It's screening as part of the Experimental Jokes shorts program here at the Adirondack Film Festival. Uh, really excited to check it out. Uh, Ken, thanks so much for stepping in and uh, having having a little conversation with me. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Ken, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and uh, how did you get into the world of short films? Well, I uh, grew up around here, actually, mm-hmm. and I'm currently living in Brooklyn, and I'm primarily an actor, and kind of between gigs, I was kind of feeling like, you know, I'm a good writer. I should just kind of write my own pieces, write my own films. Uh-huh. So um, I wrote this 
idea for a television series called Old Hearts Cafe, like, years ago. And it was just, like, a sketch comedy idea, kind of like um, Robot Chicken meets <laughs> Allen Ginsberg or something was okay. kind of my feeling, like, kind of like experimental beat poets, a lot of hipsters, um, but just all random and i thought i would do all the characters too and um so that was my idea but there was one character in particular who i really liked and that is the basis for the pilot uh, old hearts cafe and the pilot is marcus the adventures of a dishwasher with dreams of becoming a filmmaker and right now it stands alone as a short film At some point i might actually do it as a uh, web series though alright so this is kind of a jumping off point for exactly you. so in in Old Hearts Cafe this sort of pilot uh, Marcus makes a short film on the evils of technology mm-hmm. alright so uh, tell me a little bit about why why about this character Marcus and what's his beef with technology why is he why is he so riled up I think his beef with technology is that a lot of people have beef with technology, and he <laughs> wants to just jump in on that. Um, he is uh, he he's very much living a angsty life, um, and he wants to make a stand against something, and he feels like technology is taking us away from just observing reality and uh, a lot of people feel that way um i have my own views which you can i don't know i don't really want to take a stand about it i kind of want just you to think i'm on your side whatever side you're on (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you cite you cited the beat poets in this yeah it's experimental nature and the beat poets to me also were people that questioned people's uh uh perception of reality how they were engaging the world trying they they saw a sort of uh, malaise they saw a sort of disinterest disengagement while they the these beats wanted to get more engaged with things be very in the moment Mm -hmm. Uh, if if we're going to get literary talk about on the road which is a total just stream of consciousness how much of that philosophy did you want to bake into old hearts cafe i wanted quite a bit of that in there um uh, stream of consciousness is actually like a big part of my writing style. It's how I started writing. I used to just, uh, even before I knew how to write, I would just like, uh, I would narrate stories to my dad just off the top of my head and have him write them down. Or I would take a tape recorder and I would just say whatever came to my head. Um, and I still like to write that way. Yeah. And uh, actually for Old Hearts Cafe, the end of the movie, there's a poem and what we did is my uh one of my co-directors and i we just shot all this footage and then we just played it and i watched it and i just came up with a poem um just totally improvised it and that last poem of the movie is um just how i felt looking at the images wow that is fascinating. That is really fa- well because because film is so constructed in many ways. Like yeah. there's a lot of setup and a lot of hurry up and wait, getting oh, ready, and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. So how how did your background as someone who enjoys the stream of consciousness, the in the moment, the improvisation, uh, how did you feel working in this medium? Did it feel constrictive at all, or were you freed by uh, this new world? I'm freed by it. Um, 
Look, I, I got two personalities. There's the writer-director personality, and then there's the actor personality. The actor personality is actually super OCD, likes order, uh, likes research. And the writer side of me actually uh, just likes to be free um, and is a lot more like, uh, let's just see what happens. Um, and I don't know, the two personalities within me kind of keep me grounded or keep me crazy. I don't know which. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it, the the idea of having these two sides of yourself and then having to wrestle with them in the art. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really fascinating thing. You have two co you have two co directors here, Greg Boyer, yep, and uh, Cameron Gallagher, mm-hmm. and how 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 was it working with them uh you had this vision yourself this was a this was your idea initially yeah uh how did they get involved and how did they help you shape where old hearts cafe was going to go so i actually i wrote it um a few years before i met them mm-hmm. and then i met them on um a mini series that uh cameron was directing and i i sort of like i i felt like Cameron is has a good eye, and he's much more technical than I am. And then um, Greg was just, like, a lot of fun to work with, and he helps everybody loosen up and just have fun. And I felt that we could just, uh, we could really make something together. I really like collaborating with people. I feel like somebody else's eye or perspective will help me in a way that maybe I couldn't have come up as well with on my own. Um, I feel like when it's just me, like, I'm, I'm definitely more, I'm very loose and and uh, collaborative, which is fine, but it makes it hard when it's just me because mm-hmm. um, I like people's feedback. Right. And right, right. so I really like working with people, especially people who have strengths that I might not have. It's a good idea. Have the people around you that can that can pick up where you know uh, you might you might be lacking in a certain thing. Working, exactly. The, I, I I do get annoyed by this idea of the single auteur, like you know mm-hmm. these single geniuses. When especially in the world of film, it's so many people involved. You've got people in in various films. You know, you've got lighting, you've got makeup, you've got editing, you've got sound, yeah. all this sort of stuff. So I like this idea that you're you're aware of this. You know, mm-hmm. like hey, I know this part and I know this part. Let's surround myself with people who know the rest of that, and we can make a thing. Together and it can it can be like that. Um, what was the what was the vibe on set? Were they also wanting to roll with the punches, or were they helping give the shape to your uh, kind of wild ideas? A little bit of both. Um, they were rolling with the punches, but they also had some great ideas that I would not have come up with. Um, uh, like they saw influences that I didn't even know I was influenced by. Um, I think Cameron mentioned that he felt like the script was like a Wes Anderson script. Okay. And that was not my intention at all. I wasn't, I wasn't like studying his films and being like, Oh yeah, I want to do something like that. It just kind of like, that's an observation that he had. And in rereading the script, I realized, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Let's, uh, let's roll with that. Um, so he was definitely instrumental in the, kind of Wes Anderson vibe that the movie had. Um, We did set up the shots. There was some structure to it, but it was on the day. Yeah. Um, It was how you were feeling. It was how how we were feeling. Yeah. 
I like that a lot because uh, you know, as much as I appreciate a really well set up shot, uh, there's there's a lot of fun to be had in just like, all right, we're here now in the environment. You maybe you scoped it out a little bit before, but you're like, ah, it's different now. We're on a different day. We can do mm-hmm. something, do something else. Um, you mentioned that you grew up in the area, as in the area around Glens Falls or whereabouts. I actually I grew up in Vermont. Okay, Vermont, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how much of your upbringing in Vermont uh, had an effect on the way that you go about your art or go about your view of the world. I find that a lot of people's hometowns uh, seep into mm. what they want to talk about and their kind of view of the world. So growing up in Vermont, what's do you feel that that makes its way into old hearts or into your stream of consciousness world? It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean... I guess it does in a way because there's a sense of, um, especially with me being all the characters, um, there's kind of a sense of it just being me. And in Vermont, I definitely, um, certainly in comparison to where I live now in New York, uh, there was definitely a, a feeling of like, all right, I wake up in the morning and it's the me show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and there definitely is that, um, maybe I wouldn't have come up with that if I was living in New York also because in New York, um, there's a pool of actors to choose from. Sure. And here there is uh, less of that. Well, there are definitely are actors, but there's always the, everybody has jobs outside of acting so it's uh there's scheduling and so i just thought oh, it's easier just working with me yeah and write your own stuff get yourself into your own thing maybe if i was in uh brooklyn i would just be like i wouldn't have thought of that as much because there's so many hungry actors who want exposure and footage for their reels and even before i could have paid them i can pay them now but like even before i could have there's so many people who just want footage and yeah. just want credits that's wild that's what because it's like that's the payment that will lead to the payment yeah it's, exactly it's one of the few uh, it's one of the few fields where you can pay people in footage <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you moved over to brooklyn straight from vermont mm-hmm what was what was behind the decision i'm you mentioned obviously you're acting uh, yeah. new york is i mean it's new york was there to say it's a place where artistic people congregate and there's so much to be done uh did it change your headspace any any uh in any way it was there uh, a little bit of culture shock getting to such a massive city i mean not really because i grew up a little bit in manhattan so it wasn't too much of a sure. culture shock i wasn't born in vermont i was born in new jersey so oh, okay, i'm good. kind of all over the place <laughs> you're you're just new england in general yeah yeah so uh, what do you like most about new york um i love the feeling of anything is possible um and i love all the work that there is to there's so much work um and i'm still writing too um i was worried that because i might not have as much free time that i wouldn't be writing but actually the writing is is still there in fact all the the busy schedule is almost fueling me to write even more very cool that's excellent that's very good so uh old hearts cafe you want this to continue on what do you already have the next few steps next episodes or installments in old hearts cafe ready to go or or just swirling around at least so i have a couple written um but i think i want to go in a new direction and actually um incorporate some other actors into it and uh i've been talking with a collaborator recently uh, a new collaborator and i think we're gonna do something together and maybe i don't want to give anything away but i have a great uh or we have a great idea of a character for her and okay. so yeah 
It's all very exciting stuff. Uh, when it comes to uh, your your film history, what you liked g- watching growing up, or things that you found influential, you know, uh, whether it was latent, obviously, some of your your collaborators mentioned Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Were there any uh, filmmakers or writers that you? intentionally said i want this to look or feel like this or uh, even if you just want to mention filmmakers that you enjoy that yeah. you're watching um i'm a fan of richard linklater um i feel like it there definitely is a feeling of his films in old hearts cafe and some of the stuff i've done in the past uh particularly his old well i mean i like all of his work but as far as my stuff uh i feel like his older work like um Waking Life, well, like Waking Life wasn't that uh, wasn't that old, but uh, Slacker, yeah, Slacker definitely. Slacker is one of my favorite movies of all time. I, yeah, I really love Slacker, and that it's that stream of consciousness you mentioned, where you're just kind of yeah. like following people along. What? Yeah. Wh- how'd you get introduced to Linklater? Um, I think Waking Life was my first movie that I saw of his, uh-huh. and I have, I'm fascinated by dreams. Um, and the idea of somebody not being able to wake up was really interesting to me. That was actually a nightmare of mine as a child. Okay. So to see somebody doing a movie about something that was a phobia or a fear of mine, and I didn't realize that other people had that idea. Yeah. So it was uh, it was interesting. Like it, that's one of the things I love about art in general is to see somebody taking something that you thought of. And and getting to it first. I actually don't hate that because I feel like there are a lot of ideas in the world. Um, I almost find it comforting when yeah. I see an artist take something. It's like, oh, yeah, I thought of that. Yeah, that's one way that they can do. And, and it doesn't preclude you from taking your own... Uh, your own perspective on that same thing. Right. Such a diverse world. Uh, Again, Old Hearts Cafe, it's a comedy science fiction short in the Experimental Jokes uh, shorts program, the shorts block here at the Adirondack Film Festival. Uh, Is this your first time at the festival? Uh, No, this is my uh, third time here. Really? Yeah, first time with a film in the festival. Although I was background in the movie Radium Girls that was here last year. Yeah, oh my God, Radium Girls, that's (laughs) awesome. That is God. I lo- I had such a good time watching Radium Girls. Yeah, it was great. And I had to I had to catch it later because this is my first time at the festival. I've never actually been to New York before, but city or state. Oh wow! So this is a really interesting experience. Um, and since you've been here the last couple of years, you, you've seen this festival kind of balloon quite a bit. There's mm-hmm. 300 filmmakers, you among them, here to to screen their films. I mean, how wow. does it feel to be in such a, a wide field? of creatives it's amazing uh i love it and um i've i love coming to this festival even like when i didn't have a film in it it's just being in the environment being around so many filmmakers is just uh, absolutely inspiring and uh also seeing um i know it's that like the tagline or whatever seeing something new yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one, yeah it's it's one of those things like there's so much stuff i can't i i mean you're gonna see stuff as big as i know jojo rabbit is closing out the yeah, film festival yeah. i'm so upset i have to fly back to chicago before oh, it no, actually really? yeah i was i was totally bummed because it's not going to play in chicago for at least another couple weeks uh we're always like at least a couple weeks behind <sighs> la and new york so i was like oh damn it <laughs> but uh now that you are a filmmaker that has a film here are you you know, not to get too uh, deep into it, but are you a little nervous? Are you kind of uh, scared of the reaction? Or are you just like, hey, I'm happy to be here? I'm happy to be here. Um, 
I've seen it with an audience once. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, Gemfest, which okay. was here um, last year, uh, they showed some films, and Old Hearts Cafe was one of them. Um, and so, I, I guess I was probably. M- honestly more nervous then just because it was the first time uh, watching it with an audience um of course you're asking me now when it's not showtime yet maybe yeah. when it's showtime i'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll be nervous get a little bit more butterflies yeah um i do find it interesting to watch with an audience though because uh my first time watching it with an audience i was seeing things that i could have definitely done better um seeing changes i would have made that i would not have seen if i hadn't seen it with an audience yeah. like there's one scene that um all right the great the movie's great uh <laughs> but there's one scene um that i actually think is like the best scene of it and i don't want to say what it is but i just wish i had opened with that okay because um, i feel like it really sets the tone for the rest of the film so sometimes people don't realize it's a comedy and this scene is so funny and that usually people laugh at it and um I wish I had opened with that because then that would have set the tone and made the rest of the movie funnier. Yeah. Um, do you do you feel do you have plans to change it around? Do you want to change it around, or are you just like you know what it's it's done? No, I'm you're moving on. It's done. I I can't be I can't do the George Lucas thing and no. change stuff. Right. <laughs> it, once it's done, it's done. I'm just gonna learn for the next time. Yeah. No. I mean, you could CGI a couple of different dinosaurs, like different <laughs> creatures in there. So do you know redo a CGI yoga but you know what i think i think you've got the right idea once the art is fit you're gonna want to change everything every time you watch it you'll be like oh you know what yeah. i don't love this shot anymore maybe i would have done it this way it could drive you insane nothing is ever done yeah. so you just gotta step away once it's been seen by people that's when it's it's done for me all right ken holmes actor director uh behind old hearts cafe a comedy sci-fi short here at the adirondack film festival uh as much as i love this place that is i have had to practice for the last two weeks pronouncing the term pronouncing the name adirondack uh it is it is beyond the the midwestern lexicon uh ken thanks so much for joining me yeah thank you it's been a pleasure So, uh, failed track tape. I, I, I'm almost at a loss for words for what I experienced watching that in the shorts program. Um, I've seen obviously your work before Lane Marie and, uh, it was very on brand. If, if that, if that means something as a compliment, uh, in terms of it was something that I expected visually, uh, but not so much narratively. I feel like this was a really, different place for you to go in in certain ways so uh tell me a little bit about how veiled tractate came together and what was the initial kernel of inspiration well campbell o'hare and i've worked together for many many years because we went to college together so honestly i think i think that veiled tractate in a lot of ways is it's not quite a departure from the kind of work I make now. In fact, I think it's very similar to where I started. Mm. Voiceover, poetry, 
a lot of visuals that are more subjective, a protagonist that we follow throughout that's kind of voyeuristic. Um, So I feel like it came to be really organically and that Campbell O'Hare was visiting me from where she lives, Philadelphia. And she's a wonderful actress, does a lot of great work in Philadelphia. And I dreamed up some vignettes and characters and themes that I knew I wanted to explore with her because we have, we've always had plans to like, like we, we're going to make a Southern Gothic horror movie. Like I'm, I'm basically like just leading the charge there eventually, but to, to get to there, other things have to be made along the way. And so this was kind of like a, in the interim, here's something that we can create together. Okay, putting that together. And so you feel that this is something that is somewhat of a return to an original form? This is, these are ideas that you've already been playing with, and now you're uh, synthesizing them into this short? Hmm, well, I think, like, when I first started making films, like, if you, if somebody were to look back at, like, The Stone Birds, Build Lily Splash, The Adventures of Miss Glitch, um just some of those early pieces the format is similar um with within which i mean that i use a lot of the same devices like voiceover poetry even use going as far as to using myself well yeah because you provided the the voiceover for this correct i did i wouldn't have done that if campbell lived in chicago but i think it worked out for the best and i actually was considering having her like somehow get a hold of like a studio or something originally and then it just and i actually was thinking about letting her write it and then as i i think the big thing about this process and you know the the crew can definitely speak to this too is it was definitely an exercise in trusting myself because i haven't made something so close to who I really am in, in a long time and so since my early days so that's why it doesn't feel so much like a departure but really a return to me I guess okay and Veiled Tracte was nestled in with this kind of I don't I don't know if experimental is the right word for for the shorts program because it, there were so many things that felt familiar and right about what I was watching with the other with the other pieces as well but uh would you describe this as an experimental film as a perhaps non-narrative I would I think that you know we worked really hard to provide a storyline an arc a play, a person a place to fall places to follow my my experimental work there's often still like a through line um because i feel like that's what gives us the chance as the audience to really see ourselves in it um but i yes i would define it as an experimental film just in that it riffs and goes away and comes back and leaves the audience ultimately to make decisions for themselves one of my impressions from the film was uh this sort of interest and focus on aesthetics um not just for the character herself you know there's scenes of her going through different wigs and and modeling in a sense like you know enjoying uh her own sense of aesthetic but also the world that she inhabits it's incredibly colorful it's incredibly uh diverse in the way that uh at point she's you know up with neon these incredible lights and then there's some just truly remarkable shots where uh, she's looking into like a reflective surface and there's there's layers of of the reflection and of the mirroring so would you 
how, how do you feel about this film aesthetically? Was that a, a particular choice? Like, hey, I want this to look a very particular way and be focused on that aesthetic. It was, especially 2018, 2019, on into 2020, I have been really honing in on aesthetic um, and exploring that very specifically. Um, so, you know, I, I, the, the piece for the most part was all improvised, just in that, like, movement, and then along the way, the narrative sort of, like, informed us, like, what it wanted to be. But I did a lot of scouting beforehand. So I just like went to Chinatown one day, <clears throat> went to a wig shop, just went to all the locations by myself and like sort of did like a walkthrough as the director, like thinking about, okay, how would I want her to move? Do I want her to dance down the aisle? Probably she could play with that wig. She could play with that wig. And then also like giving myself enough freedom, like while, while we, while we were on location, like the fire wig that she wears that to me is probably at this point I see as being perhaps the most iconic moment of the film which i didn't until maybe yesterday um i randomly picked that wig and today i actually realized that i think to be totally vulnerable i think i picked that wig because it reminded me of me Mm -hmm. so that's kind of visceral and strange and cathartic and fun part of that part of that improvisational nature just feel whatever feels right and then in the end it kind of comes out feeling the best Yeah. And Campbell is such a chameleon. Like we went to acting school together. And so I I know what she's capable of. And I feel like she knows what I'm capable of, too. And so it was just a really wonderful opportunity for us to stretch our director, actor, team muscles. Very cool. Very cool. Let's jump on over to the production side of things. Um, Amy, uh, if so, you are the producer of Veil Tractate. Yes. And how did you get involved with the project? When did you and Lane Marie come together for this meeting of the minds and say, hey, let's make this thing? Um, And actually, I don't remember when it was. Do you remember? It was sometime like after the film. I had like a rough cut of the film and Kate was starting to do sound design and I was realizing because originally I was like I'm going to do this whole thing by myself I got like as far as like producing and directing and then (laughs) last June and then I was like actually no you need help and so I did like a call on the internet looking for the right person and Amy was the right person and I came along. Yeah. So you came along with a, there was a rough cut already. Yeah. Uh, ha- a decent amount of it had been shot, or at least all, you of, had, it all of it had been, been shot. shot. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, that's okay. Please, you can talk over me. Please talk over me. It's okay. <laughs> all of it had been shot, but I don't, I think there was only like five the, minutes. The beginning the end, the, oh, it hadn't been shot? Yeah. Whoa, I didn't even know that. See, I'm learning even right now (laughs) um yeah so a lot of it had been shot and then i just started doing marketing for it and then when we started when they started getting more of a cut together i was in meetings and you know just kind of encouraging lane marie to follow her own instincts that was something that i tried to prioritize because like this is a passion project group kind of collaboration film so the producer role was not necessarily one that was usual, I guess. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that became my first priority of just trying to find, encourage Lane Marie to follow her own path mm-hmm. in the film. And, and it's interesting you talk about the producer role. I feel like that's a an often misunderstood or just kind of 
uh, obscured idea because on, on a film you uh, you know it seems like a director uh, a cinematographer all that kind of an actor very defined people kind of know what that is and what people do when it comes to producers they can come along at various points during the film uh, whether it's you know at the very beginning helping with the writing of scripts and the setting of locations to a little bit later on when uh, the film needs to get uh, a little bit more polished, a little bit more finished and ready for something like a festival run. So when it, when you hopped on, what did you feel you, you, you mentioned wanting to have Lane Marie follow her instincts. Uh, What were some of the other goals that you had seeing this rough cut and where did you want it to go from there? I definitely sensed a story somewhere in the film and I really wanted to bring that out because I wanted the audience to follow Hummer the main character Hummer's journey into this cliff dive into what I think is kind of like Kate used the word implosion earlier an implosion of self of there's so many selves and how do we find which one is right do we know like um so I wanted to bring that story out and I'm really big as I, I, I'm really, I want my, the films that I work on to be well-timed, to be succinct enough to, to give the audience just enough of what it needs to under, to like under, get a grasp of what's going on and move on. So I wanted it to be, have a good pace and clip along so that we could really enjoy the ride and be taken on a ride with Hummer. Mm-hmm. Does it ever get tiring having to think of a film at, at that sort of level? You know, you're not, while you are somewhat immersed in the in the creativity and the story and all that kind of stuff the filmmaking process uh as a producer sometimes you have to be thinking of where the audience is and how you can shape things to and pretend you know put yourself in the audience's shoes how is it going to feel timing wise you mentioned how is it going to feel story-wise are they going to quote-unquote get it um is that is that tough at times when you want to also enjoy the film for what it is I don't think I think it's almost interchangeable for me. I enjoy it by being the audience, by putting myself in their position and finding the moments when like, oh, well, here I'm tuning out a little bit. Why is that? Is this going on too long? Do we need to change up the editing? So, I guess no, it doesn't get tiring. I I think that's a gift that I have actually of being able to take a step outside of the work and give it an honest critical view because I can see so much potential in it and I want to like hone it and bring out the very best details to get the best result. So I'm guessing there were at least a couple sessions where you and Lane Marie would sit down and be like, all right, here's some notes. Here's how I feel about certain things. Uh, what was, what was that process like and how, how to make, how did it make uh, your creative bond deeper and um how did how did it affect the film overall well lay marie was so gracious in that she really welcomed everyone's point of view it from the very top felt like an open room for discourse and honesty and we all were able to give her the notes our honest thoughts of what was happening and what it was missing and Lane Marie always heard them, and I think that group effort kind of made it easier. Um, 
What was the question? Well, I mean, so I mean, when you when you have that kind of open environment, sometimes it can be a little bit hostile on a film sure. set. I think yeah. uh, sometimes there can be a little bit of like, oh, how dare you tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is my project. But it's 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 a necessary thing. It's 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 very important to have the discussions because uh, you need that outside perspective and. Uh, before you before you get to the festival circuit uh, with a with a short like this you, you're not necessarily going to have traditional test screenings that mm-hmm. like a big budget picture might have so y'all are the test screenings you are the ones saying hey this is where the audience might be at and you have to have that best guess so uh, it, it seems to me like there was little tension and mostly collaboration that was the main goal absolutely um, I think it matters that everybody was bringing in positive attitudes and mine specifically was i was trying to be that's why i'm trying to really bring out what lane marie wants because i'm on her side and i'm Mm -hmm. making her film not mine so i can give her my notes as like listen these were these are my concerns and if she justifies them and she's like oh well i did that on purpose because of x then i'm like cool great you got it um heard and let's move on it's it's so nice to hear this because yeah. <laughs> I mean it's all a lot of the narratives around around filmmaking are oh my god I had to talk to the editor and they're giving me this amount of shit and I had to talk to sound and they're giving me this amount of shit and we're arguing over things and things are not happening at a pace that we want them to so it seems it's it's really nice to know that a film can get made a short film can get made in a very uh, positive environment very very loving environment uh, Anna if you want to take the mic here uh, tell me a little bit about at what point did you come on the project and um, a little bit about your background as well sure um so lane marie approached me after the first round of footage had been shot so most of the film like the character vignettes had been shot and um yeah there was no script um she just sort of brought me this footage and we sat down together and looked through the footage and she's like i want to make a film out of this like and just looking at the footage i felt like i understood the story that she was trying to tell and I think at first, neither of us really had necessarily the words to describe the story in it, but like we could feel it was there. So it was sort of this process of like excavating the story out of the footage. Um, so we like kind of brainstormed a lot of different ideas about like what format that would take mm-hmm. um, and did a couple like different versions of the edit. But I think we honed in on sort of this like, you know, chaptered vignette format pretty early on. And. Um, yeah, it was just such a fun collaborative process. Like I'm so used to being handed like a script and some footage and like you cut the script and there's not a lot of, you know, room for like improvisation and like really working outside the box and trying new things. Like you have to work within the constraints of, you know, the script that's been given to you. But, you know, it was really a privilege to be a part of kind of the, narrative creation process you know Mm -hmm. it felt like being part of pre-production as a post-production individual um so that was new and exciting for me yeah that is that is a rare opportunity because like you said you get handed the script this is where we want the story to go and while there might be variations in that things might get moved around you're still working with something fairly concrete so when it comes to bringing out the narrative of of this short what did you see in it as an editor what did you uh looking at this footage this improvised sort of thing what were you getting out of it 
Um, definitely this whole theme of identity was immediately apparent to me. Um, you know, each location that was chosen, it felt like she was playing a very specific character in each of those locations. And just watching through the footage, it almost felt kind of like a visual diary entry to me um, of Hummer's character. And that she was like trying on these different identities to see like what fit. And so that's sort of where we started is like, okay, how can we play with this theme of identity and like how do we craft this into a narrative without words you know how do we like express this as sort of this like cinematic poem almost mm-hmm. um yeah so it kind of snowballed from there like again it was it really felt like this excavation process we'd go through an edit and things would come out of it where you know i don't think i was even consciously thinking of certain things and then we'd watch it and like the film i felt spoke to us at certain points where we're like oh like this feels really like present like this theme or this idea like i love that that feels right like let's keep moving with that idea and that happened multiple times throughout the process so it was really cool to like watch the film almost make itself in a way and i was like we were just all partners and discovering what it was always meant to be (laughs) was it tough to leave some stuff on the cutting room floor because obviously every frame of this oozes a a, a bunch of beauty and a lot of interesting stuff that i'm guessing the the raw footage alone you could probably be like you know we're gonna just slap this out there we'll see what people think of it they can they can make whatever they want but obviously you want to give it some shape you want to give it a, a pace beats chapters all this sort of stuff so when it came to leaving certain things out that didn't necessarily fit that excavation uh was it tough and do do you miss some of the footage um not really actually i think one of my traits as an editor i'm a pretty ruthless editor i think like (laughs) i have no problem cutting my darlings so like i can recognize when like this shot's beautiful but it's gotta go like it's not working Mm. um so I don't know i think for me just getting to see it i'm like that was pretty i enjoyed watching that but um yeah i'm like i'm a little ruthless <laughs> when it comes to the edit like i i like to chop things because i i like things to be like snappy and to like get to the point and you know yeah that's <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to say is that the mark of a good editor because you get so many uh you get a lot of films in general that might take way too many liberties and just be like oh we're gonna just hold on this for a really long time nothing wrong with slow cinema but at the same time uh there are moments you you know that something is not working when you're sitting in a film and you're like wow uh can we move on to the next thing maybe so you like to take a little bit more of like yeah let's let's get down and dirty let's let's make this happen let's get the film going yeah for sure i mean i think there's always a time and place like it depends on what you're going for there's certainly an occasion to have slower pace and because I like things to be quick and snappy, like I think that's one of the things I have to, you know, work on when, you know, it is meant to be a slower paced film. Like I have to remind myself, okay, like it's okay to sit in this moment. Um, but that being said, I think more often than not, you do want to be a little more like ruthless in the edit and cut things out, um, which I think is an an advantage to like be able to get in there. Um, but again, like that is certainly a skill to recognize when it is good to sit in a moment um and i have to like remind myself to do that at times too since my gut is to 
you know, to cut. <laughs> so it's rare that I get to actually talk to someone whose main focus is editing. You know, a lot of the times, especially in Chicago, folks are doing multiple roles. They're editing their own, they're shooting, editing, and doing everything about their own film. So when it comes to editors in general, I've, I haven't really gotten to ask how much of an editor's thumbprint makes it onto a film in your opinion um obviously a director is out shooting the film and and bringing the the raw footage to you but when it gets to the editing room how much of a film is really made by an editor it really depends on the team you're working with because sometimes the director is very like you know, you're going to cut here and then, you know, five seconds later, we're going to cut to this shot. And they're like very, you know, they have their hands right in it saying like, this is what I want. And you don't have as much room to really add your own, you know, creative voice to it. But one of the things I really love about working with Lane Marie is she gives me so much creative freedom to really add my own voice into it. So I'd say it really varies on the project. Um, And that's one of the things that I look for when I collaborate, you know, with other filmmakers is I really like to work with directors that allow me to have that freedom because otherwise I'm just a button pusher, you know, at a certain point. So like I've worked on films where there was none of my voice in it because it got stifled out, Um, which is like really unfortunate when that happens. But, you know, it it certainly does happen. Um, So, yeah, it just it's one of the things I'm discriminating about in terms of who who I work with. I think that's a good thing to have because editors can really get uh, the short end of the stick. And I I would hate to have someone who spends so much time uh, learning a craft and having to know so much about, uh, you know, uh, editing footage and and having a, a wide idea of what cinema can look like and what it can be being reduced to yeah i'm just gonna drag this here and then this is that scene and blah blah so that's i'm glad that that was part of the process for you uh let's jump on over to kate because this is this is a film with incredible sound design that was one of the things that Thank i was <laughs> i was absolutely blown away i was having uh, a full experience i'm very as you can tell i'm very sound oriented as as much as i love images and i love stories uh sound is really important to me in movies and you this, and me this, both yeah it, it was, <laughs> It was spectacular. So when uh, you got involved with this, what was your vision sonically? Did you and Lane lay something out like, hey, this is where we want to go with the sound? Or was it carte blanche? So um, I should probably talk a little bit about how, how Lane Marie and I first met and started working together. Was basically so I I first met her. We say it was two years ago. I thought it was a year. Okay, okay, two years ago. She says we met. I first met her at um, the Women of the Now Film Festival. Never met her before. Um, I had I had I creeped her a bit on her Vimeo account. Looked at her work. Checked it out. As soon as I met her and I saw some of her work, I just like I targeted her. I said, "You, we, I'm whatever it takes. We're working together. <laughs> Gonna make it happen." And I didn't stop pestering her until. It did. Then what happened is I, I I sort of reimagined Bill Lily Splash, which was one of her earliest works. Um, and I I did what I do, which is I got as weird with it as I'm allowed to. I'm really, really drawn to disorientation and absurdism, discomfort in any way. You know, I like to tease, go return to the weird as opposed to trying to find it or elevate into that. Like, go back and find what is 
what is absurd you know and 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 lane marie's work really allows for that and i was so very attracted to it for that reason so we had worked together with build a loose splash and and she loved what i did and she trusted my vision very much so when she approached me um about veil tractate uh it was as open-ended as all of us have described it it was you know um this this friend of mine this incredible actress and dancer and i got together and we just you know we just shot some stuff and we don't i don't know what to make of it i think you know i think i've got a rough idea and she did she had an outline she had some poems that she'd written um and and i was sent some stills i fell in love with the stills immediately and um and, and i loved the words that she wrote there was no sound mm-hmm. in the film. She did have uh, a playlist that she had made, and some temp music had been placed in um, by Anna. But but that was disregarded fast because I just didn't we I didn't even really listen to that very much because I knew we needed to start from scratch. Um, how it started was Lane Marie came over and we just I just mic'd her up and uh, she just read all the poems I, I had her whisper some you know moan some sing some read some you know uh, upside down any which way you know and got as many different sounds and perspectives of the words as possible and then took all those sound files and I just cut them up and played with them um, and then then was the process of this so I will say this and I don't know if this is like we're not allowed to say this but for me discovering what this, the film needed to sound like was needing to discover and learn Lane Marie's psyche better it was so very much it, it, it found the more I found Lane Marie in the film uh, the better I was able to carve her out in the film, um, the closer I got to hitting the marks in the film. You know, so um, it was really a process of, and I do this with most directors that I work with, which is that, like, in order for me to really know and love their film, I need to know them intimately because you can't remove the filmmaker from the film and you can, a filmmaker can try to remove themselves and speak of the character and it's not me at all, but they're, they're always there some, somewhere. And since you were speaking to aesthetics so much, it was very much about that. I needed to find Lane Marie's sound as opposed to finding the film sound. And once I once I shifted my perspective in that way that I wasn't trying to like cuz I there I was there for a while. I was really like analyzing the film, getting a little like academic feminist about it and I think I was projecting some ideas maybe. I was trying too hard to make it logical. And then I realized no, I need to find Lane Marie inside of it. Um before we left yesterday it's the hours have blended together yeah (laughs) um uh, lane marie and i were hanging outside a coffee shop um waiting for amy and anna to show up and she was telling me about this very bizarre dream she had my immediate response was just like well all right let's let's break this down let's analyze this and it, it occurred to me uh later that day that like this film was very much like a good friend of yours has this very bizarre dream means something and you can sense that it really means something and you've got to find this you've got to find the symbolism and so it was all of us kind of helping her and her even indeed Lay Marie trying to understand what this dream of hers meant she knew it was something sometimes when it's so personal it's too close to see it 
yourself. You know what I mean? It was maybe too close at first for Lane Marie to see what it meant to her. And so it was all of us kind of coming together and and analyzing this very strange dream that we that we knew was deeply important to Lane Marie. Um and and I think we all came to love and appreciate each other very much in sharing that vision and 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 like like uh like Anna said excavating it, you know. Um yeah, that was a very, I don't know, I meandered quite a bit there. That is okay. <laughs> that is very okay. Um, I'm going to chew on that for a second. <laughs> All of that through sound. I've, I, really, I really love that. I really love the idea of having to get to know someone really well. And that of a, a way to get to that is, is, through, is through the sound. Um, this is a film that's very focused on uh, obviously a, a dance performance and just body performance that sort of thing it's it's um and i'm not a person that i don't claim to understand a lot of modern dance i'm just like yeah that looks really hard and difficult and it's very beautiful but i don't get it but i think part this this particular piece reached me on a certain level because of all the sound that was going on and and the synergy of that and i don't know if it was i'm guessing it was partly because of your uh mental excavation of of lane and this mental merging um or just when when you went in with the the music as well um and you got to see the the actual movements of the character and you got to see how she interacted with the world what was your approach to meet meeting that and and getting into that headspace so i have to say so i well i was a dancer for many years so i mean that spoke to me the movement but that aside i maybe did four or five passes three of them just for fun because Campbell I think was became my muse in many ways the way that that she moves I could score her every which way like I just wanted to I wanted to you want to make like four films out of exactly this. like her movement inspired me so very much that I I that that was nothing i could have scored that was easy in fact i think i mean i i had a rough score before we even had our first before the rough cut was even done like i was like here like days later i and i kept saying like i just want to can i just like do this movie three or four times so i can because there was so much to to unearth there but i couldn't that wasn't enough because because it wasn't just hummer it was lane murray you know i mean that was the surface it wasn't it wasn't we needed to to dig deeper than that before before we were really able to uh to before i could really hear it i need to yes i do i need to intimately know someone and i when i know how someone sounds which is how i think of people when i meet people i think of their their soundtrack immediately in my head like this is what you sound like and um and that's what i needed to do for for Lane Murray, it couldn't just be for Hummer. It couldn't be for Campbell's movements. It couldn't be um, for the for the shots for the color. Although although Anna and me inspired each other enormously, our workflow was really interesting. In that, like normally workflow works. I mean, you you move down the line. You know, I I rarely, if ever, meet or talk to the editor and colorist. Um, and certain and so, but there were like I had done a pass, a final pass, and then we went back and did some more editing. And so Anna and I like spent a night together really exploring 
each other's visions I never really know what an editor's vision is they don't tell me and I don't tell that that rarely happens and it was so rewarding for it to happen that way in this film so we inspired each other a lot um yes just just in general like the way the workflow the way that we all collaborated was unique possibly a once in a lifetime chance so bonding um it was I, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world it took it was a lot of time it was a lot of work it was a lot of it was it was a it genuinely was a labor of love i we can say that with so much sincerity yeah i mean the intimacy of of your of of everyone's work really comes through at the at the end of the day i really i felt um you know when it's when it's playing with other shorts uh it's hard not to compare because it's happening one after another you're just kind of seeing a bunch of things and uh as at the end of this festival there's going to be voting and things like that so you've got that running a little bit in the back of your head but i will say this was the short that made me feel most involved as a viewer, I was like, I, I really was sitting there like, oh, okay, I'm, I felt part of this. I felt like I was really in the world that was being, uh, being displayed on screen. And I don't mean to use that as a criticism against the other filmmakers because they were great in their own ways. But this one, I was very much entranced um i lane marie you mentioned voyeurism there was a certain level where it was like wow i feel odd that i am watching this very clearly intimate thing happening on screen and it was it was really an experience in that regard um now this was all shot in chicago um lane marie you and i have talked about chicago how many times now i mean every time we see each other we're talking about how chicago works but you're 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 a filmmaker of many different places in in this in this world um why did you want to shoot this one in chicago other than you know you're you're living in chicago well i think i mean the chinatown in chicago is very inspiring um so i feel like it was all the neon lights I mean, I, I actually, I feel like I had passed through Chinatown by Hatton. Actually, our DP, uh, when he and I were in our early, Alex Halstead, when we were in the early stages, talking about this film. Because I knew I was going to do this. And I mentioned it to him. And he was like, oh, I'd really like to shoot that. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, and we started talking about, like, potential environments that we were both interested in. And Chinatown was one of them. And so that was like when I went and scouted and I saw the, I mean, the neon phone just sold me. I was like, all right, she has to dial this. She has to have a fake phone call. That's going to happen. You know, (laughs) like I took pictures of everything that I intended to plant her alongside. Um, And so I feel like the thing that makes it a Chicago film is, hmm, Besides the location, I mean, I feel like the people involved, whether they're from Chicago or not, we all feel like the spirit of community and collaboration. And I feel like that's the main reason why that was like the lifeblood of this project, because Chicago really has that. I mean, that's why I'm about to live in Chicago for my fifth year even though I was thinking about leaving. What? Um, <laughs> Unacceptable. No, I, I understand. I Just understand. the warmth, you know. I'm, I'm a little 
little photosynthesis person so i need the sun but chicago's not a good place for that no so we'll have to figure that out eventually but um but i mean i i didn't really know a lot of people when i first came to chicago and then just by circumstance and connection and i met the women that are sitting around me now you know like it's all been such a journey Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's there's a certain quality to, uh, I think, any film either made in the Midwest or made in Chicago. Uh, even though this is a very aesthetically bright and, and colorful and just, and just so engaging, it, it seems like something that someone might look at it and say, like, oh, this is clearly made in L.A. But I really don't Good. think so. Yeah. Good, I like that too. <laughs> but they're, they're, I like the LA aesthetic. <laughs> I'm here for it. But there's there's just something to it, and maybe it's because of my own prior knowledge. I'm like, yeah, this is made by a bunch of people from Chicago. This feel this is Chicago yeah. indie. This is this is like there's something just city of it's the city of broad shoulders, the city of hard work, and just. There, there was just something like yeah we're gonna just go do this and mm-hmm. it was and it took a lot of elbow grease and all that kind of stuff and and that came to me but maybe again that was my bring my own reading to it yeah no i think that that's super accurate i think there's there's certainly grit to it and grit is a word that i've i've identified with for a long time and that partially might be because i'm southern and lived in philadelphia and now i'm in chicago and in order to survive in any of those places there's a certain level of like sincerity and like grit that like you have to have you gotta have the unfuck ability yeah but still be nice yeah you know that's the weird part (laughs) that's isn't i i mean and if anybody would like to speak to i know we're this will probably get off topic from the uh from the film here but uh i the midwest nice very interesting and i grew up in it and i and i don't really get it um you have to be you have to be on like say you get on the l you know if someone if someone bumps into you oh yeah no sorry no it's no no big deal but like if you're just sitting there you kind of got to mean mug people a little bit just like don't don't fucking talk to me that sort of that sort of thing but um you know being in the midwest and uh, we're just going to go open mic here if anybody wants to grab it uh being in the midwest how has that affected your careers and your artistry um what what does that do for you being in a place like chicago so i can say coming from the east coast i was i was blown away at on arrival here just how welcoming every art community is i i came just purely working in, in music when i when i first came to chicago um and and was um almost suspicious of how welcoming uh the art community was and 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 when i came to work in the film industry it was it was no different you know um i I think that you can do i think that there's an enormous amount of trust in the midwest in other people's um visions and and work and and efforts that there certainly is not in uh, either the east or the west coast and so there's there's room for artists to breathe and fail and um, um and and that means a lot 
to be able to, f- you learn so much more from your failures and you do your successes. There's no room for failure in New York or the West Coast. You know, there is, and so that leaves for so much growth and that makes for so much solidarity in the scene because we know that we're, we're all there for each other's failures and successes. And, and um, the expectations are different. You know, I can't I still haven't found a word, a way to describe what expectations mean artistically in Chicago. We're just we show up for each other in in a way that I haven't experienced in any other place in the country. Yeah, I think that's incredibly accurate. The uh the I, I think with the expectations um just from what I've seen, the expectation is is just that is that you're going to go and when someone does something, whether you don't have to like laud it, you don't have to tell them it's great, the greatest thing they've ever done, you don't have to just constantly pat them on the back, but you have to go and you have to show them that you care so that they'll keep going. Um, I can't imagine what it's like in in New York or LA when it comes to the art scenes because they're so they're so you know blown up. Every everything matters. Everything has to be your absolute best. Otherwise, you get buried. You get you get blackballed by the community, and then all of a sudden you're totally out on your ass. So um, I think the Midwest is a is a great place to be, and I, the Midwest is to me what makes films like this possible. Um, you, you get people who will just you're just going to come together like i i still can't get over the amount of of love that clearly was happening during this process it's it's really remarkable <laughs> it is it's true like it's 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 rare that you get to hear these stories yeah <laughs> a, a sickening amount of love and care um really it's it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you all thank you so much for inviting me here and um again i loved it i thought it was great um if it's not going to get me in trouble it's going to get my vote for something whatever it's up for being voted for it's going to get some votes because it is it is it was great uh not a bad not a bad first day of the adirondack film festival if i do say so myself so i think we'll cap it off there thank you again really appreciate it thank you